Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Alst from Strata Central. How are you, Rena? Good, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing well. I am very much into the swing of 2021. It doesn't take long. I had a little bit of quiet time, took some time away in January and um, wow, I feel like I've just... I never left. <laughs> yeah, I think actually <laughs> for me, Strata managers that I've spoken to, Amanda, including in our own company, that... We've never had so many emails come through the break. So normally, you know, after Christmas, you know, there's a lull for a few weeks, even if it's even two weeks. But this year I was actually getting emails from people during the break, even about really small things. It wasn't even things that normally you'd write to your manager about during their closure. But mm. it even included like, oh, I haven't got my levy notice and even little things. And I was, and it showed me, I think, the fact that COVID's had an impact on people in terms of them not going away on holidays or holidays being local, so therefore not being mentally away as such. Mm. So, um, and I spoke to a number of other managers about the same thing to ask them what their experiences were. And one of my colleagues in another company said he had like 400 emails when he got back from just owners, not internal, because sometimes part of our email is also internal emails, but um, mm. none of that. So, yeah, I think our, I think the strata management industry is really sort of been on a bit of a treadmill through COVID and I think it's still going to be continuing in this year, I would say, definitely. Yeah. I wonder if it's the being at home effect for owners. We're, we're living at home, of course. We're holidaying at home. We're working at home. Mm. So there isn't this boundary anymore. You kind of forget that your strata manager's on, on break, that their office is closed because you're just living life as normal. You're in your home office. You're sending exactly. your emails. Um, so forcing ourselves, whether we're strata managers or service providers or uh, owners without doing other things, forcing ourselves to have that break and have that differentiator. This is when I'm on and this is when I'm off. Otherwise, I'll tell you what, it's happened to me before. You will burn out and nobody wants to be in that situation. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think also, Amanda, because people, um, even though some people are now doing like the half and half where they're actually like working some days in the week and some in the office and some days at home, the which mm-hmm. I think is ideal. But it, you're still, I think when you're at home, your home mindset does set in. And therefore, mm-hmm. I think the things that you not normally see and, and think about when you're in the office are still prevalent when you're at home. Yep, for sure. We're going to see that. Um, we need to get better at that or we're going to see or continue to see because I know it's already happening, the fallout uh, when it comes to our health, our mental health, our well-being, for sure. Okay, well, starting with that challenge, uh, have you got a strata challenge for me this week, Rena, to share? So my challenge this week, Amanda, revolves around a scheme where the building manager was undertaking some visual inspections of, of the balcony balustrades and they had an abseller as well involved in all of that. And they found on one of the apartments that there was a spa that had been installed on the balcony. And we obviously know that this is obviously being done by someone, not that owner, because that owner actually is well known to the strata committee and they 
would have during the tenure of the building manager, they would have seen someone trying to install a spa on the 23rd floor of a building. So anyway, we wrote to him and said that, you know, basically we know that he didn't install it, but we need to ensure that we are able to test it to make sure that the load is not too strenuous on the building because we don't know whether or not, you know, um, there's also water and there's pumps and all that sort of Mm. thing. And basically he said to me, well, I didn't do it and you should know that I don't have any responsibility and that you can't make me do anything, including um, having a bylaw. Now, they already have a bylaw that was passed many years ago that says that any unauthorised works to common property or fittings becomes the responsibility of the lot owner or occupier. Now, I then wrote to him on that basis and then that was also rejected by the owner once we wrote that. So our view it is is that it is enforceable, that bylaw remainder, and the fact that even though he wasn't responsible for the changes to the common property, you know, the Owners Corporation does have some real concerns about the spa and the weight and the water and pumps, et cetera. So is this bylaw enforceable or do we need to take further action? Mm. Uh, well, I would need to see the bylaw yeah. to be able to give you that level of detailed guidance and I do suggest that if this is going to be challenged, as it sounds like it is, the mm. owner has put their cards on the table, the building does get some specific legal advice. I'm glad the bylaw is there because in my view, and I was just addressing this question with a barrister the other day actually, in my view, yes, the owner of the lot from time to time, whoever that is, does inherit, does take on the mistakes, the breaches, the non-compliance of the previous owner. And if there is unauthorised work that has been done, then yes, that owner can be directed by the owner's corporation to rectify any damage to the common property and the owner's corporation can seek orders from uh, our tribunal in New South Wales if the owner doesn't agree to do that. But the legislation isn't as black and white as I have just mm. said it there. It takes a little bit of digging and a little bit of a little bit of legal argument to get there. So I'm glad that you have a bylaw in place which sets out that position because I think that's going to be helpful to you if you do have yeah. to argue the point. We do see this. I know, Rena, you see it a lot. Uh, people buying in, not understanding what they're inheriting, perhaps not doing a search of the books and records. Uh, obviously, this owner's bought in and seen that there's a spa. Did they think that this was something that is part of every lot in the building that the developer put in? I don't know, maybe. If they had searched the books and records and knew what they were looking for, and I appreciate so many owners just do not know what they don't know, they should have been looking for a bylaw or some form of approval for this work, which is obviously an addition. The same applies when there's a, a brand new bathroom in your beautiful apartment mm. that you're looking to purchase. You want to have a look and see if there's been approval for that work and have you under that bylaw taken on responsibility for the future repair and maintenance. Because if there isn't a bylaw there making that clear, well, the owners corporation may one day come looking for that commitment and nobody wants to be in that situation. Exactly. And I think also, Amanda, a lot of people actually now when they're buying, they rely on the, on the vendor's search as well. Like they don't want to pay extra money for a new search. And I'm, I'm always yes. baffled and surprised by that because the amount of money that people are spending on a property and the amount of money that's going to be spent on a strata search, I mean, I can't even see the logic and I try really hard. I'm thinking, okay, well, okay, I know people want to save money and all those sorts of things. But like you said now, I mean, this could be costing quite a lot of money if for that owner if that spa is found to be 
you know, structurally affecting the weight of the balcony. So it's more than just mm. um, having a bylaw passed. It's going to be, it may need to be removed. I don't know. I mean, mm. None of us know. That's why we want to get an engineer to be able to inspect yep. it and give us some advice in the first instance on the effect on the structure of the building. Yeah, that's definitely sensible. You've mentioned there, Rena, the vendor searches. So these are the reports that vendors put together when they're selling the property and say, oh, you don't have to do a strata search. I've done it for you. Here's a exactly. PDF or you can log into the agent's portal and get a copy of the PDF. Look, I just see those as marketing materials exactly. from a vendor the same way that you might have photographs or sketch plans or diagrams of the property marked marketing material. That is not an objective, independent. Look, I, I shouldn't say that. It might be. It might have been done by a reputable person and may include everything that needs to be included but it's within the vendor's control to have things included in that report not have things included in that report exactly yeah so definitely doing your own search of the records preferably by someone who knows what they're doing is um your number one step when you're looking at purchasing a strata apartment definitely amanda All right. Well, thank you for sharing that challenge, Rena. Let us know how that one pans out. My challenge for this week, uh, sadly, I think, I say sadly because this really should have been put to bed some time ago, relates to the old and probably by now annoying issue of pets in strata. I have brought this back to the podcast after a lot of discussion about it last year when we had our Court of Appeal in New South Wales tell us that bylaws that impose blanket bans on pets are invalid. Notwithstanding that decision, I am still seeing many, many owners who are would-be pet owners in Strata or uh, currently have pets and are looking to get approval still being told by their committees by their owners' corporations in general meeting, by their strata managers, that there is a ban in place and the ban is being upheld. Uh, I have a couple of owners briefing me at the moment in my legal practice where we're going to mediation with owners' corporations. We're having to kick off tribunal proceedings to get a decision from the tribunal to make very clear that the ban is invalid. And I've also been approached recently and have seen on some online forums tenants who are experiencing difficulties. And in New South Wales, landlords do have the right to say no pets in my property. That makes sense. That's their property, their lot property. They can decide what happens in it and and what doesn't. But what's happening is the landlords are saying, look, I don't have a problem with you having a pet, but the building has a ban. And that's not something that I, as an investor owner, are prepared to interfere with. And if the landlord won't take it on, then a tenant actually has no standing under the strata legislation to take that on. You have to be an owner if you're going to make an application to invalidate a bylaw. So tenants are in a really tricky position. What are you seeing from your side, Rena, on this issue now? Amanda, we're actually seeing the same thing that you're talking about, that many buildings that still have blanket bans on pets are still enforcing them. I suppose one of the challenges I think that we have is that the bylaw still applies in its current form. So buildings where they have a pet ban, if someone applies to have a pet, we're saying, well, you can't enforce the ban. And some committees just don't want to accept that. So we're not going around telling everyone, oh, now that even though the building's got a blanket ban, you know, like it's sort of opening up the floodgates for everyone to start applying for pets. But those that do apply to the strata committee, we are advising them that you really can't say no. But a lot of mm. committees still have the mindset, well, let them go to the tribunal. And so they want, they want to put the person to expense and effort 
to try and challenge the bylaws rather than just sort of be a bit more accommodating and knowing that in the end that's what's going to happen anyway. Yes, and thank you because that's a very good summary of exactly how these things will pan out. The only thing that I want to add there is that I think the applicant who's had to go through that process to get the decision from the tribunal to say, yes, I'm bound by precedent. The Court of Appeal has said exactly this ban is invalid. So, of course, your ban in the same terms is also invalid. That applicant has a very good chance of getting a cost order. Mm -hmm. So if that applicant has engaged a lawyer to run that argument for them and has had to take it all the way through to a defense hearing, then you can expect some very clear submissions mm. to the effect that there are special circumstances and we do need to show that in our tribunal to get a cost order. The case never should have had to be brought, never should have been defended and a cost order may well be made against the owners corporation. So strata managers, and I'm seeing strata managers very well experienced, strata managers that I respect and have worked with over many years, I'm seeing the emails that they're sending to tenants and to owners saying, sorry, there's a pet ban in place. We can't accept your application. I really hope that there are other emails going, as you are, Rena, to committees saying, guys, even though this ban is here, not a good idea to be exactly. it at this stage. And indeed, buildings should be, as I said months ago, reviewing their bylaws and proposing a different type of application procedure for residents wanting to keep pets. Yeah, one of our schemes um, just had general meeting to change their pet bylaw because they had a ban on pets and then it's been changed with obviously, you know, some terms and conditions amended to make sure that the owners corporation does allow um, residents to have pets. But on the, on the other hand, some rules and, and um, issues are still maintained in terms of, you know, location when you bring them, you know, like not having them in the in the gym and pool areas, et cetera. So things. So therefore you, you can impose conditions that make it sort of workable for both the applicant and for the owners corporation in terms of maintaining that sort of balance. Yep, absolutely. I agree. And indeed, we have this issue on the agenda for the review of our New South Wales legislation. I am hearing that a number of buildings are simply sitting back and waiting for our legislation to be changed to include a provision that the keeping of animals cannot be banned any longer and are waiting until that, that happens. I, I can't see that happening quickly, guys, sorry to say. Our, no. <laughs> the submission period for this review ends in early March this year. We're then going to go through a round of draft legislation that's going to be considered and debated. All things move slowly when it comes to lawmaking. So um, I think we're going to see a few applications run through the tribunal reinforcing this position, unfortunately, uh, for those applicants and before the legislation is changed. And I am actually aware of at least one case where a resident with a dog in the apartment did obtain from the tribunal an urgent interim order allowing them to continue to keep their animal in the face of a bylaw that banned animals. That's an interim order. It's in place for three months and it's in place until the tribunal determines the substantive application. So until the tribunal makes its final determination. And the tribunal has made that interim order because they see that the exactly. application has strong prospects of success and they, they know that they're very likely to declare that this bylaw is invalid. So those are the kinds of applications we're seeing be made and I think we're going to see more of those until our legislation is amended. 
I think Amanda for buildings that do have bylaws that do permit animals, there are issues in terms of some owners actually um, making sure that their pet doesn't, you know, urinate on the common property and things like that. So that and obviously sometimes people leave their dogs at home and they go to work. So I think um, as you mentioned previously, that the bylaws should be re revisited with specific terms and conditions because sometimes. In one particular building where there's like 100 and something apartments and there's so many people that have pets, um, a lot of people haven't actually applied for them. So we're now trying to get a, a pet register going there and seeing who's applied and who hasn't applied. Yeah, so I think in a sense we do need to balance the needs of the owners as well as the needs of the owners' corporation at the same time. Yep. Absolutely. That's an important exercise to make sure that attention is given to the impacts of pet ownership and make sure that you have systems in place to deal with those if it arises. Uh, anybody who is new to this discussion, I will put links in our show notes for this episode to our previous podcast episodes and Facebook Live chats where we're discussing this issue. There were quite a few detailed chats last year in the lead up to the Cooper case and also the fallout from that case. Uh, you can get yourselves educated there on what's happening with pets in strata in New South Wales in particular. And as we like to do, we will continue to keep you updated. Watch this space. <laughs> Rena, heading over to your win for this week. Yeah, so I had my first AGM quite early on, Amanda, in the first week we got back, actually the next day after we got back. So I'd like just to share some of the wins of that meeting whereby it was actually an AGM for a company title building and it was delayed because of COVID and the inability to actually hold the meeting in a room that the directors didn't want to have it on Zoom. There's a number of elderly people in the building and I think for many of us who have had quite a number of Zoom meetings, especially AGMs, it can become quite difficult trying to navigate a large number of people and um, having input and I think as managers we found overall that even though they're a great tool at times your concentration levels are having to be tested because you're trying to look at a screen you don't know who the people are sometimes sometimes people don't have their video on so the delay causes to have it early in January anyway so it's, it's, a few of the shareholders haven't been happy with certain things that the board's been doing and unfortunately, they asked me to include some items on the agenda. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but the agenda's already been issued. However, I am happy to raise them as points of discussion at the AGM. And so one of the shareholders asked me to read a letter. Another one asked me to read her email. And, and we did that. And we actually went through with all the shareholders present, you know, point by point, all the items. So we listed their, their grievance and then we addressed it in the minutes. So I think that sort of made everyone feel better especially the people that were complaining and I think also the other shareholders because I think it gave them a view that the board you know wasn't trying to dissuade cooperate you know people communicating or having ideas or having grievances but it's more about how those grievances are handled and I think sometimes we find as managers you know the, the email wall back and forth you know you, you try and respond as per the committee's instructions and then you get another response and then it's back to the committee and back and forth and back and forth and mm. I think when you do it in a, in a, in a public forum like an AGM or a general meeting, I think it's actually quite, it's better that way. because so I think then everyone gets to hear both sides of the story and therefore it means that I think people sometimes do feel a bit better when everyone's been involved in the decision-making process as opposed just to the board or a strata committee. So, yeah, so mm. for those people that perhaps, you know, um, not that it's always a forum necessarily to air every grievance, but if there are issues that are affecting, I think, owners and you think that the committee is not being, not listening to you, then you might want to submit them to a general meeting to be discussed, not as part of a formal scenario perhaps, but even in an informal fashion. 
Mm. Yes, I think when you have a grievance, as you call it, Rena, feeling that you've been heard, yeah. that you've had a space to raise that and that you've been heard absolutely goes a long way. And we've talked about this previously on the podcast about these agenda items for general discussion or general business. While we always encourage items to be discussed to be put in the form of motions and to appear on the agenda inevitably, especially in buildings where you may only have one general meeting a year or perhaps lots of investor owners who are only getting together once a year, there's going to be general discussion. And while you might not be able to make uh, formal binding decisions in the form of a resolution, it's exactly the right space for owners to be asking questions, whether it's of a committee or of a board of directors, as you have in company title, about what's going on, why there might be a particular structure that's been put in place on the common property or what's happened with this project that we were going to do and to be able to have an answer face-to-face if you're lucky enough to be doing that and what could be a larger problem down the track if you have the back and forth of the letter writing and the emails is nipped in the bud and everybody can move on happily. Yeah, so I think in this case there, there was a particular shareholder that has had this grievance for some time, going back years now, and, and even though right. she's still not happy with, with the outcome of her grievance, at least I could say to her, well, the shareholders discussed it, they were there, so it wasn't just the board making the decision, you know, and they also don't agree with A, B and C, however, that you know, mm-hmm. they are, they agree with, you know, E and F. At least that then makes her feel that, like, it has been heard by all owners, not just the board, and therefore we hopefully can try and put that to bed. Yeah, and that is something I remind clients of often when they tell me, Amanda, the committee won't do this, the committee won't do that, and I say, have you tried putting a motion forward at a general meeting and asking the owners for their decision because the decision of the owners' corporation under our strata law prevails over the decision of the committee. So if the committee tells you, no, you can't do something, whatever it is, whether it's a a minor renovation that they've been delegated the authority to decide or maybe it is the the keeping of an animal that they, they have the authority to decide, the committee says, no, you can absolutely take that to the owners in general meeting if you feel that you will have majority support from owners and perhaps the committee just, for whatever reason, there's a personality class or you think the committee is against you, go to the owners and ask them uh, before going to the tribunal. Let me say that uh, because often the tribunal will pick that up and say, well, hang on, you haven't actually asked the owners corporation in general meeting for that approval. So why are you coming here? So an important uh, step to remember to take. Yeah, it's a really good point, Amanda, I think, to remind people that, yeah, you need to sort of go through the progressive steps from the committee to a general meeting and then to the tribunal rather than just going from stepping right over that. Um, and some, most times the owners can be sympathetic and sometimes in this case, not that they weren't sympathetic, but they just said, well, hang on, this has been discussed. We don't agree with giving you compensation for A, B and C, but however, DNF is fine. And yeah, which is what the board had said anyway. So it wasn't really anything different, but at least it gave the feeling that you know we had exhausted all avenues and therefore I think as we know for company title the means of trying to obtain an outcome aren't cheap because it's not governed mm. under NCAT it's the local court in some instances and then the, the Supreme Court because it's governed under the Corporations Act so mm, it can be a, quite costly to, to go to those other avenues if you haven't really exhausted all the other ones beforehand. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that win, Rena, from one of your very first AGMs of the year. There's lots in that one. The win that I'd like to share this week 
comes from a rather large building that is about to undergo a multi-million dollar rectification works program. So there was quite a bit of damage to this building, to the roof in a storm that happened in Sydney some time ago. And it has taken a while for the insurer to sort everything out and to receive tenders and to appoint a contractor to do this rectification work on the common property. The building includes some penthouse apartments, quite large, with large terrace areas, and those apartments are going to be directly impacted by the work that's going on on the roof. And I raise this as a win because I've been working with the building for some months to finalise a written agreement between one of the lot owners and the owner's corporation, making very clear to the lot owner precisely what work the owner's corporation's contractor is doing, what obligation the owner's corporation has to protect the lot owner's property, to keep it clean, to keep it tidy, to make sure the contractors are doing their work properly, and in turn, what obligation the lot owner has to provide access to the contractors who do need to use the lot owner's terrace to access the roof and also to store some construction items on the terrace. Now, we do have in our New South Wales legislation an obligation on lot owners to provide access to the owner's corporation or its contractors if that access is needed for the owner's corporation to repair parts of the common property. And it's also in our legislation that the owner's corporation is responsible for any damage that may happen to lot property during that process. In this case, the lot owner who was represented by a lawyer had felt that that wasn't enough protection for her to be comfortable and had instead proposed this written agreement, which we called an access deed to be formalized between the owner's corporation and the lot owner. And I think through the cooperative work of everybody involved, the committee, the lot owner, the strata manager, the lawyers, we were able to put together a document that both parties were reasonably happy with or least unhappy with, <laughs> felt, that their, felt that their rights were sufficiently protected and it hasn't held up the project in any way and that is now going ahead fingers crossed, with everybody as comfortable as they can be. Yeah, that's a very wonderful outcome, Amanda. So I think that in these types of situations where I think owners have had some bad experiences in the past, they'd like a sort of a level of of comfort and protection that's probably more than what the legislation requires. And I think at least Mm. if you you do have the means by being able to engage a lawyer, it's probably a good idea if you feel that way. And as long as everyone can be as comfortable as they can be in terms of providing access as well as looking after the the lot property as well as, you know, the noise issues, I think, and dust, especially Mm. um, I've had another building where we had to do a bathroom repair work because it was the waterproofing had failed and the contractor didn't even put any coverings on the um, furniture. And so the tenant had left and came back and it was just, there was dust everywhere. And I'm thinking like, end of the day, sometimes contractors, you know, they really don't think about the person's apartment as being their home and and the amount of, you know, like, okay, noise, we have issues, noise can't be helped. But in terms of trying to protect people's furniture and their belongings, I think contractors need to be a bit more mindful that, you know, they can't just prance around in their boots and with with mud and and do work without Mm. covering people's furniture and, and their contents. 
Yeah, and I have to say some contractors are certainly better than mm. others at that and that is one party that I didn't list earlier. The The contractor in this particular case as well as the project manager each bent over backwards to meet the concerns, to address the concerns of the lot owner, to meet with her regularly to make sure that she completely understood what was going on and how she was going to be impacted. Now this lot owner is elderly. Uh, this has been her home for many, many, many years. Uh, she also works from home. She she, as you've pointed out there, it, she did indeed have a bad experience some years ago when some work was done that impacted her property under a, a different committee and she didn't feel that her concerns were properly addressed at that time. So she was bringing that past experience uh, as many owners do and uh, everybody who was involved in those negotiations um, really pulled out all the stops to make sure that she could be kept as comfortable as possible and be assured that her rights would be protected both by the contractor and then ultimately by the owners corporation who are the ones responsible when it comes to the common property and any damage that may happen to the lot property. So pleased to bring that one to the table this week. It's great Amanda, it's a really good outcome. Thank you. All right. Goodness. A uh, jam-packed episode. Lots in there to get your teeth into. Remember that you can always get the transcript for these episodes over at yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash podcasts. That's where you'll find all of our podcasts, our show notes, and a link to access the transcript. I know so many of you access those transcripts to be able to read over your morning coffee rather than listen to or share with your strata manager or your fellow committee members. So continue to enjoy. Enjoy the rest of your week, Rena Van Alst, and I'll look forward to chatting with you again soon. You too, Amanda. Enjoy your week also. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? today?